Today's scripture reading is Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This quotation from Isaiah is the only quote from the Old Testament found in the book of Mark. Some scholars say that this gospel was probably written for a more Roman reader, more than a Jewish one. However, the writer never ignored either audience. The scholars believed that the Romans, as actual and potential converts to Christianity, would not have known much about Jewish traditions or history. Unlike Matthew and the other gospel writers, they believed Mark would not have worried about showing that Jesus was the fulfillment of a promise God made to the people of Israel. I thought that was interesting because Mark always keeps it short. In fact, my mom has always said that his gospel is the news report of the New Testament. He kept to the facts and never included anything without a reason. So why does the gospel start this way? And what meaning can that offer to us at this time of year? Isaiah the prophet made a prophecy about another prophet who was coming to let us know that the Messiah was at hand. This prophecy gave John the Baptist his credibility with the Jewish people. His mission was foretold in Isaiah. And we remember that when Mary went to visit her relative, Elizabeth, the unborn John was the first non-parent to recognize the unborn Jesus' divine nature. When Mary entered, John did a flip in his mama's tummy, and Elizabeth knew that Mary was carrying a very special baby. John was born to prepare the way of the Lord. He did this through baptism. When a Gentile converts to Judaism, there are three important ceremonies in which he must participate. He must be baptized, he must be circumcised, and he must make a blood sacrifice. John is baptizing everyone in a ceremony used mostly for Gentiles to convert to Judaism. This baptism was a commitment to the promise of the Messiah's offer to redeem everyone, not just Jews. Mark reinforced the universality of the promise by saying that all the people from Judea and Jerusalem went out to be baptized. All. I believe that the all to whom he refers is all races, all religions, all levels of financial success, rich and poor, all professions, all ages and genders. To me, that makes sense, and it's a great way to start a story. John the Baptist grew up to completely commit to the job he was supposed to do. 
he didn't follow in his father Zechariah's footsteps and work in the, the temple in Jerusalem. He went out to the wilderness. Now, when I think of the wilderness, I always imagine mountains and forests like the Rockies or Alaska. The Jewish wilderness was actually something a lot more familiar to us. Between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea is the Judean Desert. There are little pockets of water, but mostly it's just dry with very little vegetation. In fact, our desert looks lush compared to the pictures I saw of the Judean one. It was the home of rebels and outcasts. People went there to hide, and that's where John went. He didn't build a temple in typical Roman style and collect a lot of offerings. He lived rough on the land, keeping to his message, baptizing in complete humility. The simplicity of his lifestyle and the humility of his message had to appeal to those who came to him. He was true to the mission God had given him, and it showed he was successful. By offering people baptism for the forgiveness of sins, John was preparing the way by making people examine their consciences. C.S. Lewis believed that the human conscience is proof of God's existence. The little voice that makes us feel good when we are kind to others and makes us uncomfortable when we are not is God's divine spark. It drives us to apologize and occasionally haunts us when we know we can never undo a mistake we have made. God's unfailing grace takes that guilty misery away. When hopeless regret creeps in, we know that God loves us. We know he loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. We can just let the guilt go because our baptism is permanent and we can trust our Savior. It doesn't surprise me that people from all walks of life went to John seeking his sincere promise. When all the other options for worship were about power and privilege, money and social standing, a humble baptizer giving away hope was a true voice calling to them and to us. My idea of what John the Baptist looked like is probably left over from Sunday school and movies. I've always imagined him as some kind of caveman in a short animal skin toga with a wild beard and scruffy hair. Our scripture says he wore clothes of camel's hair and a leather belt. The King James Version agrees with the camel's hair but describes his belt as a girdle of skin about his loins. Without making a direct reference, the clothing confirmed John's position as a prophet. 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8 says in part, He had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said that was Elijah. The Jews knew Elijah was a prophet. However, the Romans would have known something else from his clothes. They would have known he was poor. We know that clothing made of animal hair, whether rough wool or fine cashmere, is warm. Not ideal for a Mediterranean climate, but truly uncomfortable in a desert. Also, his clothes would have itched. Just thinking about angora or dog hair makes me itch. Heck, even my own hair makes me itch after I've had a haircut. Anyone with any money would buy something cooler and more comfortable. This had to prove that he was committed to his ministry, something the Romans would have appreciated. And we can appreciate it, too. The scripture says he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, scholarly commentary on this goes through every degree of speculation. 
One scholar said this just showed that he was roughing it, living off the land. Another scholar said the locust would have represented John's power to devour or control great calamities and disasters. All of them commented that locusts were approved as food according to the Jewish dietary restrictions. What I found interesting was that both locusts and honey have a place in Roman mythology. The locust, or cricket, is associated with Apollo and music. Bees are associated with nymphs, and honey was well known as the nectar of the gods. I think this association with their gods was the Roman version of John's confirmation as a Jewish prophet. It gave power to his message to both audiences. And John's message was wonderful. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way. John helped people straighten their roads and look to their consciences. John's success with his message reminds us that Christmas is for all people. One year, before they made it illegal to support the homeless people on the street, I made a bunch, up a bunch of the giving bags, you know, the ones with the socks and the hats and the gloves, and a Christmas message and food and water. And I put all those bags together and I gave them to my friends at work because I thought this would be a much better gift than the usual stuff we give each other, like hand lotion and pens and, and other things. And it also would allow me to share the joy I get out of giving something by allowing them to give something. I gave one to the Muslim teacher in my hall. She protested that she didn't celebrate, so I smiled at her and I said that didn't matter, because I do, and I wanted her to know the joy that I know. Another year, I went to a Christmas musical performance at the Loretta Chapel with two of my Jewish sorority sisters. All of us sat and were filled with joy by the music. It was a wonderful experience. So it's, it's important to remember that Christmas is for all people. I think this scripture also reminds us to stay humble. John didn't even consider himself worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. And Judean sandals were not the nicest of clothing. Roads were unpaved, either dust or mud. A traveler's feet were often filthy. John's humility was a prediction of Jesus' humility when he bathed his feet, the feet of his disciples. I think we need to remember that the greatest gifts aren't always the most expensive ones. Sometimes they are just the best we can do and are given with love. Most teachers know very well about humble gifts. My favorite humble gifts was a note I got from one of my more unusual students telling me that she was, I was her favorite teacher. I cherish it because she took the time to make sure everything was spelled correctly, she used the correct your, and she spelled my name correctly. Sometimes it really is the thought that counts. And the most important thing we need to take away from this scripture is the need to make the path straight. It's too easy to get detoured through, during this time of year. Old resentments come up. As we prepare our shopping list, we may remember the beautiful gift we gave someone that they never even acknowledged. New conflicts arise. A neighbor may have a display that keeps us awake, or his beautiful inflatables make ours look disheveled and sad. Traffic, 
crowds, the ever-present struggle to get everything done can wear us out and drive us far away from the joy of Christmas. We need to stretch out our hearts and grab hold of the hope John the Baptist offered. Jesus is coming. A precious baby in a simple manger is the greatest gift anyone can receive. He was given to us with love by our gracious God. So let's end in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift you have given us, your beloved Son and his saving grace. Help us to keep the flame of your love alive in our hearts. Help us to share that love in everything we do. God, please bless us and help us to be a blessing to others. Amen.